This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. Hello, this is beloved indie cartoonist Xander Cannon, creator of Kaiju Max, and you're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Podcast with Joe and Keith. Sort of, sort of break, it, break it down like this. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is my pleasure to welcome you to THN episode 204, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, April 8th. My name is Joe Patrick, at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter, and when I'm not scrambling to put two podcasts together because my partner abandoned me for rock and roll stardom, I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Ladies and gentlemen, sitting across from me is a creature that many thought existed only in myth. He's freaky big, he's got a bushy beard, and he likes to pick fights on the internet. You guessed it. It's Keith Binder! That's right, I'm Keith Binder, founding member of Pep Squad, and when I'm not curing society's problems on Facebook, I regulate fools at Legend Comics and Coffee and take photographs for Omaha Magazine. He's never done this before, folks. Cut him a little slack, will ya? This week, you'll hear our reviews of Rebels number one and Kaiju Max number one. After that, we'll review ten more of this week's new comics faster than we can run into the welcoming embrace of our alien overlords during the ludicrous speed round. Then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where we'll be summoning the ghost of Matt Bomb, spoilers, to see the future of next week's comics. And finally, the comic pushers are putting the capes and tights away to get one poor bastard hooked on comics about real damn life. So let's get this show on the road so we can get back to our Netflix accounts and neglecting our significant others. It's time to talk about this week's Big News! Marvel Studios and Netflix launched the long-awaited Daredevil show this week. Joe and I have binged as many episodes as we can before recording today to bring you our knee-jerk first impressions. Since the show's been only available for a day as we record this, We'll try to keep our discussion as spoiler-free as possible. Joe, how far in did you get, and what do you think of Daredevil so far? Let me tell you this about Daredevil. Mm-hmm. I wish I was home watching it right now. Me too. <laughs> I would kill you and burn this podcast to the ground if it meant I could go home and watch Daredevil. <laughs> I'm in five episodes in. Me too. I am very impressed by it. I think Charlie Cox is a wonderful Matt Murdock. I think that uh, the supporting cast is very strong. I love Foggy Nelson. The show is beautifully choreographed. He's constantly getting his ass kicked, which I really yeah, love because he's just getting started. I love how they've like very just kind of slowly revealed new things over time instead of like jamming it all into the first episode. You know, you don't get to see Kingpin right away. You don't get to see Rosario Dawson right away. I, it's paced very well so far. Super great. And Foggy. Oh, the guy that plays Foggy, so good. Yeah, he's, he's so from, charming. Yeah, right, he's from the Mighty Ducks. Is yeah, that, he was like he, he was, was in a, the Mighty Ducks. He was the tough kid from the Mighty Ducks. Yeah, who'd have thought? Crazy. It's super serious, which I wasn't completely expecting, and way darker than anything they've done before. Something to be aware of going into the new Daredevil show is that it is absolutely taking advantage of the Netflix model. I would say it's got PG thirteen level cursing. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Uh, it's violent as hell. It is. Bloody. Oh my God, it's brutal. <laughs> but it's awesome. And it's tied to the Marvel Universe in a way that's not like constantly wink, wink, nudge, nudge. They yeah. address it right off the bat in the first episode. And five episodes deep, I don't think they've mentioned it again. No. like And Vincent D'Onofrio, too? 
so scary. He is very scary. <laughs> I am terrified of that guy. Yeah, Vincent D'Onofrio's Kingpin is clearly, I don't know if unstable is the right word. Probably. But he's he's vicious and terrifying. Deborah Ann Wall. Wall. Yeah. Uh, I guess she was from True, True Blood, Blood, which yeah. I never watched. I uh, did. Yeah. It was a thing. Yeah, I bet. Uh, she's really good as Karen. Uh, Rosario Dawson is awesome as uh, Claire Temple. Oh, yeah. Um, For sure. They have not yet called her the night nurse. But I doubt that they is. will. Yeah. Uh, well, they haven't called Matt Murdock Daredevil yet. So. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But yeah, I am very, very impressed. Uh, I was talking to Dave DeMarco, occasional guest host, uh, yesterday at the shop. Good dude. I have seen Daredevil's origin a thousand times, a thousand different ways in comics and in the movie and all of this stuff. And I swear to God, when they touched on it on the Netflix show, it was the first time I'd ever cried during it. <laughs> oh, it was so good. It was so well handled. And it's shot. It's a TV show on a TV show budget, but it's shot in such a way. And I think this is to, due to Drew Goddard being in charge. That it's like a, a movie. It feels like a movie. It does. It feels very cinematic. It's got some great cinematography to it. There's like some true detective level like camera work in that show. Mm. Okay, spoilers. Daredevil fights guys. Uh, there's a scene in one of the episodes. It might be the second episode. Daredevil is rescuing somebody from a building full of thugs. Mm. And it's just him walking down the same hallway, going into rooms and ending dudes. And then... The dude's like not quite being as ended as he thought and <laughs> coming out and fighting him. Uh, it is really brilliantly filmed. And uh, yeah, I, I can't get over how impressed I am. And if that is how good these Netflix shows can be, then I am much, much more excited for the other ones than I was before. Oh, yeah. And we've seen the suit now, which is great. We haven't seen it in the show yet because we're not fully through. But yeah, ne what Netflix, I want, this Netflix is not a spoiler. Netflix accidentally posted the suit online and then they just like revealed it. Yeah. Sorry. About and that. this is not a spoiler, but I really want for the thing to be like Matt Murdock gets home and there's a big package from Tony Stark and it's the suit. Yeah, that would be, be I'd be like, oh, awesome. That would be great. Yeah, well, there's a little bit of suspension and disbelief with any of these shows because you have to wonder, like, where the hell did he get this, like, very impressive tactical gear? This, right, This right. failing lawyer or whatever. But yeah, like, in the Spider-Man movies, like, how did he make that costume? Exactly. Look at it. Look at it. Yeah. <laughs> the suit that they've shown so far looks uh, like a, a very... Marvel Cinematic Universe real world tactical approximation of the Daredevil costume uh, sort of like a cross between the Daredevil costume and then Cap's movie outfit Captain yeah. America's movie yeah. outfit uh, I think it looks great I'm excited to see it in the show I don't know if they're going to make us wait till the very end <laughs> to think, see it I think so because I, I scrolled ahead to the on the show the, yeah. the shows are titled and the last one's titled Daredevil yeah it's true and I'm like oh it's, it's going to be that long <laughs> but so far, so good. If you don't have Netflix, this might be a show that's worth signing up for a month of Netflix just to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> and the opening titles are worth it alone. Oh, yeah. They're kinda, so cool. They remind me of the Hannibal opening credits. Uh, I haven't seen it. They're kind of gross. <laughs> yeah. I'm just trying to make my city a better place. In comic news, IDW and DC Comics have announced The Spectrum War, a crossover between the rebooted J.J. Abrams Star Trek and the Green Lantern Corps. 
Spectrum War will launch in July from longtime Star Trek writer Mike Johnson and artist Angel Hernandez. The miniseries will see Hal Jordan and the Corps teaming up with Kirk and the Enterprise crew when Lantern Rings head straight into the hands of some familiar faces from the Star Trek universe. The two forces will have to work together in order to get them back and keep the universe safe from certain mysterious villains who also want to get a hold of the rings. Heath, are you on board for this? And are Green Lantern and Star Trek a good match for a crossover? Yes, but I'm terrified. Yeah, I love intercompany crossovers, and I've seen properties... Crossover with way weirder shit than Star Trek. Right. Green, Archie, Archie Predator. Boom. Uh, there was a Green Lantern Aliens crossover. There's Batman versus Predator. There's all kinds of weird nonsense. Batman wins. Yeah. But. Spoilers. All right. But I think of any two properties, at least Star Trek and Green Lantern both have the kind of cosmic thing going for it. Yeah. And at least Mike Johnson's writing it. So at least it's going to be as good as the Star Trek series right right now. And that book is very good. That's what I hear. I haven't gotten to read it yet because I just let it go because I was like, eh, I don't read Star Trek comics. But then everybody told me how great it was. And I was like, "Uh, I need to go back and read all these. (laughs) They released a cover by uh, Locking Keys, uh, Gabriel Rodriguez. And oh, it shows nice. a Klingon with a Sinestro core ring. Oh, no. And I was just like, yeah, yeah. All right. I got to see what's going on in that book. Oh, man. So I, I kind of miss the days where companies would just come out with a ridiculous crossover. Yeah. Yeah. You know, teaming up characters. JLA versus Witchblade oh. <laughs> was a thing that happened in the oh. 90s. Why didn't that just like end up with Witchblade not being a thing anymore? That would have been great. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. No offense, Witchblade lovers. <laughs> I'm I'm excited, I'm, but I'm, cautious. Yeah. Because Green Lantern has not really been tripping my trigger since the New 52. So There you go. And that is where I'm at as well. But is he going to get input from the DC team? What's I, is it or is it just like IDW got to play with these characters for four issues or whatever? I suspect that it will be much more closer in tone to idw books than it will be dc books good yeah and i am optimistic about it because i really like mike johnson uh i don't know angel hernandez's art at all i think it's on hell it might be but yeah i'm looking forward to checking it out crossovers are a mixed bag no matter what characters you pick but it'll be i'm sure it'll be fun whether or not it wins an eisner you know right exactly (laughs) Yeah, you know, sometimes you just want to watch uh, The Rock. Exactly. Right? Or uh, or The Rock in something. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like the movie The Rock or the actor The Rock. Exactly. Boom. I watched Fast and the Furious 7 this weekend. Loved every second of it. Your recommendations have gotten me to want to watch all those movies. You should. I, I hate you for it. They are. But I'm going to do it. Oh, man. They're great. I wish I was watching them. <laughs> after Daredevil. After Daredevil. Finally, Variety has reported that Supernatural creator Eric Kripke is developing a new concept for both comics and television. Amped will be a six-issue miniseries launching this fall from Vertigo, written by Kripke with art by John Higgins of Watchmen and Hellblazer fame, and covers by the legendary Brian Boland. The story follows Josh Jaffe, a neurotic family man who buys an online smart pill to increase his focus and jolt him out of his slump, but gets much more than he bargained for. To his surprise, the pill gives him incredible strength and power. The story examines both the mighty highs and humiliating lows of being a real-life superhero, 
Simultaneously, Kripke will be developing a TV adaptation of Amped for the USA Network. Speaking about the project with Variety, Kripke said, quote, Pretty much everything I've written has been insanely influenced by Vertigo, so it's a dream come true to write my first comic there. Amped is a project I'm foaming at the mouth passionate about, and it's the most personal warts and all story I've ever told, so I'm having the time of my life writing the comic, and basing the TV series off the comic too. I can't wait for readers to read it, and then down the road for watchers to watch it. Joe, I know you're a fan of Supernatural. Are you excited to see Kripke come to comics? You know, there have been Supernatural comics, and Mm -hmm. he may have even written bits and pieces of them, but I am excited to see an original, a new original concept from him. Uh, I do love Supernatural. I love it. Me too. I am behind. I am a little bit behind. Uh, This sounds very familiar to me, this kind of concept. There was a show on ABC. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It was called No Ordinary Family. Yes. That was great. It was about a, a family that gets, uh, they, they fly through a lightning storm or something yep, uh, in yep, a plane, yep. and then they all get superpowers. It was great and terrible. It was the Fantastic Four, but for ABC, and they couldn't call it the Fantastic Four. <laughs> sure. Dave DeMarco uh, said it was good. I never really watched more than a couple episodes, but this sounds fun. It sounds like No Ordinary Family mixed with Limitless, <laughs> that Bradley right, Cooper right, movie. Right. Yeah, I, I think it sounds fun and uh i think vertigo is a good place for it uh which signifies to me that it won't necessarily be you know popcorn family fair like no ordinary family uh something that that will have a little bit more bite to it which is nice i think kripke's good at that sort of thing the image that they showed was by Derek robertson transmetropolitan Ooh. artist Derek robertson nice so i'm not sure if the brian bolin thing it was like a typo or if they just didn't credit him, uh, didn't mm. credit Robertson for that image. It's definitely Derek Robertson. Like a promo image, maybe? That Yeah, maybe just a promo that yeah. he got hired to do. It's kind of well-worn territory, the idea of uh, regular guy X in a world where superpowers are fictional gets superpowers. Yeah. And hopefully Kripke can explore it in an interesting way. Well, especially since he hasn't been really involved in Supernatural since season five. Like, he's not showrunner anymore oh that's true what's that guy been doing with himself i don't know i don't know counting that fat supernatural cash it's so good that's the big news for this week if you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed hit us up on the thn4 keith and i are workshopping our new spinoff podcast jp in the beard documenting our real life adventures as long-haul truckers in the 70s It's review time on THN, where Joe and I take two of this week's comics and sweet-talk them until they agree to go steady. Joe, what comic are you romancing this week? This week, I tried to smooch Kaiju Max number one from Oni Press, written and illustrated by Xander Cannon. It's 32 pages, $3.99, pretty standard. Here's your solicit. Welcome to Kaiju Max, where the worst of the worst monsters are safely locked away from the human world, whether they be villains, anti-heroes, eco-parables, or nuclear metaphors. Electro-Gore is ripped away from his family and struggles to determine whom to trust, which gangs to avoid, and when to take on the big man to show you aren't to be trifled with. Also, the Nation of Mecca! I'm not super familiar with Xander Cannon's work outside of his contribution to Top 10, 
Kanan worked on the original top 10 with Gene Ha, and he was the one to revive the series a few years back, and I was sad to see that end abruptly. I know that he's done a lot of solo work over the years, and that it's generally well regarded, but it was Kaiju Max that really caught my attention. First off, I think the concept is genius. A fictional allegory for the criminal justice system featuring giant monsters. Brilliant. I thought I was in for some silly fun, but what the solicit didn't really prepare me for was how gut-wrenching this silly comic would be. Electrogore is captured out in the wild while trying to provide for his family, and he's thrust into a system that doesn't care about him or his children other than to see them imprisoned. Kanan creates an environment that's a direct comparison to prison life, complete with gangs, non-stop working out, shady guards, a hard-ass warden, and yes, even bitches. Kaiju Max really is a lot of fun, but Electrogore's story is legitimately heartbreaking, and I was not expecting it. The book is beautifully drawn and colored by Canon in a simple and cartoonish style, but he's got great layouts and character designs. The style of the art belies the serious nature of the script, but in some cases it makes story beats even more distressing, like when Electrogore finds out what happened to the adorable creature from Devil's Creek, who is like, in the context of other monsters, he's like a tiny little billy goat, but he's obviously still a giant because everything on the island is small compared to him. Kaiju Max went from a book that I was mildly curious about to one that I couldn't put down and can't wait to read again. I'm giving it an absolute buy it. Yeah, it's a buy it from me too. I really loved this book because you open it up and you're like, oh, this is going to be a silly fun romp. It's a ridiculous story. It's cartoonish, but then you read it and it's like super straightly played takedown of the American justice system of a man wrongly imprisoned and, and, and torn from his family. It is a real punch to the gut for sure. Keith, what did you review this week? I read rebels. Number one from dark horse comics written by Brian Wood with art by Andrea Muti and Jordi Belair. It's 32 pages, 399. Here's your solicit. In a rush of great public resistance to an oppressive and excessive government, a homegrown militia movement is formed in rural America. This is not 2015, but 1775. With the war for independence playing out across the colonies, young Seth and Mercy Abbott find their new marriage tested at every turn as the demands of the front lines and the home front collide. Live free or die! The story of America's first militia and the push for independence. Sounds boring. Brian Wood returns to historical fiction in a big way with this one. I really can't tell yet if this book is going to be a political statement or just a fun dramatic story about the Revolutionary War. Issue one is all set up for the most part, as we are introduced to a young Seth Abbott and his gruff, take no BS farmer father who is a man of few words. That is until the day he teaches his son how to hunt redcoats. Those assholes! Flash forward to Seth grown up, now a man of few words himself, and his father long dead, presumably from consumption or the plague, Wood doesn't say. And the year is 1775. And the setting is what was known as the New Hampshire Grants, and I had to look this up. They were land grants to farmers in the Northeast in the area disputed by New Hampshire and New York that would soon become the 14th state of the Union, Vermont. Fascinating. Very. The story is about the first organized armed militia groups to take on English rule, apparently. I haven't fact-checked the whole thing yet, which is something I might do. 
But soon we'll see Seth step into something of a leadership role while garnering the attention of one Ethan Allen and the broader resistance movement. Not the guy from the furniture store. <laughs> I was going to say, I love his furniture. <laughs> I think this first arc may be going in the direction of the capture of Fort Ticonderoga. Seth Abbott may even oh, be... Oh, that old chestnut. I love this stuff. Seth Abbott may even be modeled at, on one of Ethan Allen's own men, Seth Warner, but I'm just speculating. Wood is really a master storyteller, and here he has the help of a setting that's already been masterfully told in the historical record. The art by Andrea Muti is pretty phenomenal. He has worked with Wood before on DMZ, and his style really works well with this frontier setting and has a completely different feel than the other frontier powerhouse from Image Manifest Destiny. Also, fewer minotaurs. Unfortunately. <laughs> his gritty line work matched with the vibrant colors from Jordi Belair are, for me, really rad. If this book is going where I think it's going, count me in. It hits all the right spots for me as a person who is in love with the idea and philosophy of America, especially from this era. And I can't wait for issue two. Buy it! I loved it too. I am not a history buff per se, mm -hmm. but I thought this was super compelling. Uh, I really loved the art by Moody. Uh, Jordi Belair, of course, can do no wrong. And uh, Brian Woods has a knack for taking a character placing them in any time period or setting and making them very believable and very compelling. Yeah. And I really enjoyed it. I am very excited to read more. I wasn't excited about it going into it because, like I said, history, meh. But I thought it was very impressive to buy it as well. See, that's a double buy it for both Rebels and number one and Kaiju Max number one. As always, we want to know what you giant revolutionary monsters thought of these comics, so terrorize us with your opinions over at the THN forum, which you can find by clicking the forum button at twoheadednerd.com. This week, NASA scientists announced that they believe humanity will discover proof of alien life sometime within the next 20 years. Well, Keith and I don't want to wait that long, so we stole an experimental shuttle from the Baxter building and hot-wired Herbie to pilot us into deep space. So join us as we kick back, enjoy the ride to alien paradise, and review 10 more of this week's comics during the Ludicrous Speed Ride! Ludicrous Speed! Go! Convergence, Speed Force number one, DC. Wally is back. Yay. And so are his kids. Aw. Yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of Wally's kids, but I still had a lot of fun with this. Tony Bedard does a great job illustrating Wally's frustration as a depowered hero that's still trying to save the city. I've always enjoyed Tom Grummet, and he's still got it. This is a kind of throwback superhero story presented in a more classic style, and I think that might be one of Convergence's biggest draws. Buy it. Deadpool number 45, or maybe it's number 250, from Marvel. Deadpool dies! It's in the solicit. Brian Posehn and Jerry Duggan, Mike Hawthorne, and Jordi Belair send off this series to style 32 pages and a hefty $9.99 price tag. That's because the rest of the 95-page book is backup stories about the supporting cast from such comedy greats as Ben Acker and Ben Blacker, Paul Shear, Scott Ackerman, and Jason Manzukis. Favorite line? To Deadpool. Don't you get it? After all this time, you're a super friend, Deadpool. I don't think we can say that. 
totally fun ties to the time runs out sort of and deadpool dies and that won't last and they make fun of edm so i'm in electronic dance music sucks for the backups alone i don't know nothing about no edm legacy of luther strode number one image Luther Strode is back, and I couldn't be happier. Five years have passed since Luther and Petra's standoff with the police. Now the duo have to deal with other beneficiaries of the Hercules method. Brutal and beautiful, this is one of the most perfectly choreographed comic books I have ever read. Absolutely buy it, but be aware that it won't mean too much if you haven't read the first two volumes. Which I haven't. Get on it. Mouse Guard Legends of the Guard Volume 3, number 2 from Archaia. This next issue in the anthology series features three short stories from Nicole Gustafson and CM Cal- Galdra. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Kyla Vander. Welcome to the Ziggurat. <laughs> and a two-page story by Dustin Nguyen. While all three of are great stories set in the world of Mouse Guard, Nguyen's is really powerful. Two pages of his art mixed with a heartbreaking story about enemies showing courtesy to each other in battle. Really fantastic work from the acclaimed series, issue after issue. I wish this book came out all the time. If you like tales of high adventure, knights and warriors with a rich tapestry of a setting, then Mouse Guard is really for you. I can't recommend this book enough. Buy it! I'm scared of mice. I can't read it. Max Ride, First Flight, number one, Marvel! Marguerite Bennett and Alex Sanchez are tasked with bringing author James Patterson's Maximum Ride stories to life. That's right. Kiss the girl and along came a spider's James Patterson. He wrote those books, right? Probably. All right. The team do a fine job with the material, but I honestly can't find any reason to care about it. And the realities of the comic book format don't allow the creators the time to give me one. It's got a bit of a Runaways X-Men vibe, but no real hook. Only Patterson superfans need apply. Skim it. Darth Vader, number four from Marvel. Another great issue from Kieran Gillen and Salvador LaRocca sees Lord Vader and company return to the decimated and sterilized Geonosis to find secret droid factory. The plot takes some cues from aliens here to cool effect. LaRocca has been doing a great job on this book. His photo reference style finally has a purpose. Thank God. Look, guys, I'm a sucker for the Star Wars stuff, so of course I'm going to say buy it! Savior, number one, image. You're so enthusiastic. Todd McFarlane and co-writer Brian Holguin join artist Clayton Crane for a new series about a mysterious messianic figure that might do more harm than good. At least, that's what they say it's about. But you really wouldn't get any sense of that in this issue. Crane's art is fantastic, and it isn't poorly written. In fact, it's the first Todd McFarlane written comic, co-written to be fair, that I actually was sort of interested in. But Holguin and McFarlane fill the entire issue setting the stage, but not actually forwarding the plot. I'll be checking out future issues, but for now, this gets a skim it. Convergence, Nightwing and Oracle number one from DC. Ask anyone, I hate the new 52, but this isn't the new 52. This is Convergence. And it's exciting. It's Gotham. It's my pre-Flashpoint Gotham. And it's Dick and Babs. My Dick and Babs. Hashtag Dick Babs. Dick Babs. That sounds bad. Anyways, this is like Birds of Prey number eight all over again, and I couldn't be happier. The story from Gail Simone is her at her best, as we see bottled Gotham in despair, and it starts to take one of these star-crossed lovers with it. That is, until Flashpoint Hawkman and Hawkwoman show up after defeating the Justice Riders. That is the most ridiculous sentence ever uttered on this podcast. (laughs) To take them... 
in battle to save one city, the winners. Presumably this is a Brainiac thing that will happen in all the Convergence tie-ins. Poison Ivy has taken on an interesting role in the bottled city of Gotham. Jan Durisma's art is really top-notch too. Buy it! Teen Dog number 8, Boombox! Teen Dog, I will miss you. Jake Lawrence's series about staying cool, being true to yourself, and living your best life reaches its conclusion, and I'm pretty bummed it's ending. This has been a really fun book full of great characters. I highly recommend you check this out when it's collected, and I'm looking forward to more work by Lawrence. Buy it. Convergence, the question number one from DC. Yep, it's definitely a thing. City versus... Greg Rucker returns to what he be does best. Writing Gotham City's female cast, the question, Renee Montoya, the Huntress, and a surprise guest at the end. Oh, and Two-Face is here, in one of the more interesting issues I've read with him. He seems to have had a real rough go of it since the city got bottled. There is that despair I mentioned in the Nightwing Oracle book. Cully Hamner is just out of this world on art duties. Look, I know this is probably just a fleeting thing, perhaps a swan song to the DC Universe I miss so dearly. But damn it all if this isn't the most stoked I've been on DC books in years. Buy it! Yeah, that was good. So you haven't read any of the conversion stuff other than... Nope. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> that is your ludicrous speed round, and <laughs> is the sound of a Thanagarian Absorbicon lowering Gotham City's property values, as seen in the pages of Convergence, Nightwing and Oracle number one. Don't forget to bwomp us with your reviews of your comic picks over at the This Week's Comics section of the THN forums. It's our sad duty to inform you that Matt Baum passed away this week from a full-blown case of feline AIDS, but he died doing what he loved, playing footsie backstage with Drake at Coachella. But don't mourn him quite yet. Joe and I have entered the THN Sanctum Sanctorum and used our vast eldritch knowledge summon Matt's ghost and force it to reveal the secrets of next week's comics. He was my friend! He'd want it this way! Joe, what secrets has Matt revealed to you? The veil has lifted and revealed Archie vs. Predator number one from Archie Comics written by Alex DeCampi with art by Rich Kozlowski. Here's your solicit. America's favorite teen meets the galaxy's fiercest hunter! Archie and friends hit Costa Rica for spring break where party games and beach games are soon replaced by the most dangerous game. What mysterious attraction does the gang hold for the trophy-collecting predator? And will the kids even realize they're in danger before it claims them all? So awesome! I am very excited for this. Alex DeCampi's No Mercy was awesome. I loved her grindhouse, and I've seen preview art from this book where longtime beloved Archie characters have their heads straight up exploded. It was so by the good. predator. They are playing it super straight, and I can't wait to see them all get slaughtered. It's going to be amazing. Keith, what are you excited for next week? Next week, I'm excited for the tithe number one from Image Comics, written by Matt Hawkins and art by Rasan Ekadal. Sure, sure. Here's your solicit. A heist story unlike any before. Megachurches are being robbed for millions of dollars by a crusader hacker group known as Samaritan, who is giving the money to causes they deem more worthy. This modern-day Robin Hood is being pursued by two FBI agents 
who actually admire their quarry but want to stop the theft before it escalates. This is right up my alley, because Lord knows I think churches have too much money. <laughs> Matt Hawkins is, has a reputation for writing, uh, let's be charitable and call them the most well-regarded top cow books. <laughs> yes. uh, he does Think Tank, oh, yeah, uh, which yeah. I've heard nothing but good things about. So I think this looks pretty fun. It's uh, impossible for you to escape the heathens across from you, isn't it? You know, it's just my lot in life. It's all right. <laughs> The THN trade of the week is the top 10 complete edition trade paperback from DC Comics written by Alan Moore with art by Gene Ha and the aforementioned Xander Cannon. Mm -hmm. Here's your solicit. In Neopolis's Precinct 10, where every citizen has superpowers, they are the law. A talking armored dog, a genetically engineered perfect woman, a high-tech cowboy, a rookie with a toy box full of helpers. These are the cops of the Eisner Award-winning top 10 and this new title collects the entire original 12-issue series in one volume for the first time. Dear God, I love Top 10. Oh, my God. If you have never read Top 10, buy this book. It's amazing. Do it. Head over to the THN forum to know what questions you have for Matt's ghost before he fades into the afterlife. And while you're there, let us know what you're excited to read next week. It's okay, he doesn't believe in the afterlife, so he's <laughs> gone forever. <laughs> oh, God. Apache Chief from Super Friends, from Super Friends, from Super Friends. Ripclaw from Cyberforce, from Cyberforce, from Cyberforce. Shaman from Alpha Flight, from Alpha Flight, from Alpha Flight. Thunderbird from X Men, from X Men, from X Men. Yeah, that's right. We just started naming Native American comic book characters. That half-assed attempt at a rap means two things. Matt's not here to force me into something embarrassing. And the comic pushers are back. This week, a tweak and forum user named Reader Lad asks, While there are true crime comics and science comics and great works like Action Philosophers and the comic version of the 9-11 report, I don't know of any dealing with business or economics. Any suggestions? And what other quirky or interesting nonfiction comics should I check out? Keith, I know you're a sucker for a good nonfiction joint, and you've got piles of books in your apartment. I do. What do you got for this guy? All right. Business and economics, I'm not so sure about, because apparently that's a big manga thing, and I don't read manga. We had this conversation a while ago with some people <laughs> Yes, on they the Facebook. They were people. But what sprung to mind right off the bat were... Books by a guy named Joe Sacco, who writes what he calls comic journalism, comics journalism. Sure, yeah. In graphic novel form. Uh, he wrote a book called Palestine about his travels in Palestine that really tells the story of what he saw during the end of the first Intifada or the first Palestinian uprising in the late 80s and early 90s. Then he wrote. Safe Area Garazid, I believe is how it's pronounced. I could be wrong. It's a book about the Bosnian War 
And it is also very dark. Palestine is dark. I mean, there's humor in it. You know, he does a lot of talking to people. It's a real bright, sunshiny kind of book. But it does cover a lot of stuff that goes on in that whole situation. And it's really hard to stomach some of the stuff. There's a lot of racism and xenophobia in Palestine for sure. You know, it's, well, they're not very violent. It's more about him and people and what they think of the conflict and telling the story of like your everyday person on the street, Jewish settlers from uh, in Nablus or just regular Palestinian people on the streets of East Jerusalem. It's really worth reading. I think it's important. Other than that, I got to think of some other stuff. <laughs> nice of you to come prepared, Binder. I know. Uh, we just talked about uh, a great nonfiction uh, series last week or the week before. Uh, last week. John Lewis's March. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Super good. I can't recommend that enough. It is a, uh, a wonderfully told firsthand portrayal of the civil rights movement in the 60s. Uh, drawn by Nate Powell, co-written by Andrew Aiden. Absolutely check that out. After doing a little research, I found that there are American business comics. Oh my uh, God. There is a, a series of books called uh, Smarter Comics, and they are adapting uh, very popular business and strategy books into like graphic novels. One it was written by uh, Wired editor Chris Anderson. It's called The Long Tail. And uh, yeah, they adapted it uh, into this really beautifully drawn graphic novel. They, they've, uh, they're showing some art here in this article. I don't know that it would be something that I'd be into, but that stuff does exist. Uh, over on the forums, we've got Schlepprock. <laughs> I love it. Who is suggesting a manga series about Japanese food called Oishin, Oishinbo. Sure. It's about Japanese cuisine. Oishinbao? Perhaps. Uh, he's also just suggesting uh, something that I thought of, uh, which is a series of books by Larry Gonnett called The Cartoon History of the Universe. Ooh, nice. The problem you run into with uh, nonfiction comics is that a lot of times they're fictionalized stories around real things that happen. Like uh, Hip Hop Family Tree is technically nonfiction, but I couldn't tell you if all those things actually happen. I know a lot of the rappers that are in it a lot of the characters have given their blessing to these stories. I couldn't tell you because there's no way to research the words the that come out of people's mouths. Right. I'm glad you brought up Hip Hop Family Tree because I was going to suggest it. So um, good. But you raise a good point. It is certainly a dramatized version of events that may or may not have actually happened. I mean, right. I think it's safe to consider it nonfiction in the sense that nobody's, uh, you know, Disputing shooting it. laser blasts or, or that, that <laughs> fighting too. dinosaurs. I think uh, another good one to check out is Showa, a Japanese history. It's a three volume set of graphic novels by, I forget his name. Sorry. It goes from the late 1800s all the way up to the 1980s with this new volume that's coming out. And it's really cool manga stuff translated, of course, because I don't speak Japanese. There's also like, some legendary nonfiction or um, true life stuff like Harvey Picar's work on American Splendor. Uh, he did a graphic novel called Cleveland for Top Shelf. Mm -hmm. Something a little bit maybe not goofy necessarily, 
but uh, My Friend Dahmer by Durf Backdurf, yeah. which is a yeah. true story about that dude knowing Jeffrey Dahmer as a kid. And that is totally insane. The, from what I've looked at of that book, like it's just mind-blowing to think about. You know? Fred Van Lente and Ryan Dunlavey, who do action philosophers, also did a book called The Comic Book History of Comics, which is essential reading if you are interested in the comic industry and where we've been and where we're going. And then, of course, there's, you know, ultra classics like Mouse, which is technically a true story, but just told through the anthropomorphization of all the characters into mice and rats. Right. So there's a lot of great nonfiction work out there. Uh, I am not always super familiar with a lot of that stuff because my favorite nonfiction work is The Amazing Spider-Man. But oh, and Persepolis by Marjorie Satrapi. Oh, well, there you go. The Iranian biography it's phenomenal probably the most well-known non-fiction book in recent years I oh would, yeah i would say. i mean it's got an oscar-winning animated film so there you go thanks for the question matter eater lad and i hope you're having a good time with all that indigestion if you're looking uh, to get hooked <laughs> on the good stuff and ruin your life forever womp womp. head over to the comic pusher section of the thn forums and let us know what you need yeah i get it matter eater lad you can eat anything Hilarious. Boop, boop. Sort of break it, break it down like this. That is it for this episode of THN. If you like podcasts with thematic inconsistencies, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And while you're there, leave us your star ratings, reviews, thumbs up, or hearts, or whatever it is they have, because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. Thanks to our latest donor, Adam Beach, and our newest sustaining donor, The Orca. Oh, that Orca. If you want to help us pay for our Netflix subscriptions so we can keep binge-watching everything in sight, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. If you want to become a sustaining member, it's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation Monthly box, and as little as $1 a month really does help. If you're interested in sponsoring THN, shoot us an email with the subject line, Sponsorship. While you're there, you can find links to all of our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Skype, and the Ziggurat hotline 402-819-4894. This list of resources, you can beg the comic pushers for a new read. Hit us with your Ask a Nerd question or trivia if you so desire, or defend your questionable nerd taste in front of the two-headed judge for our Defender segment. You can also ask us to review your self-published comic, printed, digital, drawn with a burning oil slick like Affleck's Daredevil, whatever. And don't forget to sign up for the THN forums. This is your little virtual piece of the ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show, learn more about our segments and how you can be part of them, or just rap about comics. Speaking of the forums, it looks like everyone's trying to work out their convergence feelings. So if you've got DC PTSD, head over to thnforums.boards.net and check it out. Swear I'm going to do that sooner or later. Get over there. The music you hear on this show, you can follow our soundtrack playlist on Spotify by searching for Matt Bomb's name if he can pull himself away from super fame long enough to listen to this. Remember to follow Two-Headed Nerd on Twitter, like our Facebook page, and watch the forums if you want to get in on the Question of the Week discussion. And then be sure to tune in to hear your answers on the Answer of the Week podcast every Wednesday. And our answers. Sure. Everybody's answers. All the answers. Matt's out of town for a little while longer, and I'm getting ready to move. So we've decided to take next week off. I'm sorry. Don't worry. We'll be back before you know it. But before we go, 
Our weekly shout-out goes Wayne, DC's former VP of Sales. Bob is a beloved figure in the industry, loved by retailers and pros alike. And he ended his 28-year career with DC Comics this Friday as the publisher closed the doors to their New York office for the last time. Word to you, Mr. Wayne. And until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics because, hey, it really helps retailers like us out. They're not going to kiss you on the mouth. I am not going to assault you in a physical way. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. Goodbye.